people how is everybody doing i hope you're stepping into the wonderful glory that is summertime this next guest which was picked by jeff Tui, jeff was like well paul lauren has to be next so i instagram dm'd paul lauren and he was more than willing to do a hang and he just took me directly into summertime yesterday we hung out on his beautiful balcony he made me espresso and biscotti. Then we took a pause halfway through. He made me a Negroni and a little plate of uh, pasta. There's always the thing with like foreign words. Like someone like Paul can like really say them. And then like if you're like a, you know, a painfully <clears throat> uneducated white dude like me, you're like, do I try to go for the accent where I have like one generic foreign word accent? Or do you just say it like the most white way? You're like, yeah, man, nice conga playing. Or the other cats are like, they can say gonga. <clears throat> There's, you know, that's a discussion with yourself. Anyway, something to figure out. Paul, Paul is as cool as it gets. He's cooler than a cucumber, like legitimately cooler. I was going to play some smooth jazz guitar because I was practicing on the guitar to like try to match the vibe of Paul, like how cool he is. Um, so we hung out on the roof had phenomenal conversation. He answered all of the questions. So I'd like a big shout out to uh, Steven Salcedo. Generally, for these podcasts, my sounding board would be my wife. And I, we talk through ideas about like how to, what is, what is it that people want to know about people, right? Like what, what do you want to know about certain cats and like how to gently direct conversation to these things? Um, and, uh, I talked to Steven. My wife is just a Paul Loren fan. She's a huge fan. Paul gave me a record and she, it's over here on the piano. And she saw it and she's like, the aesthetic is unbelievable. The Paul whole aesthetic is unbelievable. Um, and I called Steven and I said, tell me everything about Paul Loren. And he's like, well, you know, I want to know how he knows Spanish so well. Cause Steven speaks Spanish. And, uh, Paul answered that question. And Stephen had other things, you know? So, and they kind of get answered. So Stephen, I'm going to just give you, I just wanted to shout, shout out Stephen Salcedo in the podcast notes. Because he's the dog. He's our main dog. He, for those of you who don't know, he's a sax player. He plays in Paul's band and he plays in almost every band in New York City. And he's just the man. And he's my neighbor. And I've known him since he was a little guy. And now he's... He got to be a big guy, but now he's a medium-sized guy because he lost all that weight. So, Stephen, I know you're going to listen this far. So I just want to encourage you to keep eating, keep lifting, and getting bigger because it's a small world. Get big, brother. Um, <clears throat> that's a weird sidebar. Anyway, Paul Loren, amazing entertainer, amazing singer, amazing producer, uh, and he's fully in love and obsessed with the late 50s, early 60s aesthetic. He talks about where that love affair came from here. And um, when I first met Paul, he came into a dingy bar, I think it's Freddie's back room in um, Brooklyn, and he was wearing a suit, and he's so smiley and good looking. You're like, look at this fucking wave of sunshine right here. Who is this guy? And I asked the band leader, and he's like, oh, 
That guy's amazing. And all of, all of the, the stories and legends are true, Paul. You are a fucking gentleman and an incredible talent. Like me, like, like a generational talent. I don't, you know, I think, I think he's, I think he's bound for absolute stardom, like a lifestyle brand and coach. He's going to be beyond a musician. He's going to be like beyond Harry Connick Jr. Paul's going to be like hosting TV shows. And then it will, he'll be like Oprah. It could be like a whole network. Ooh. And what just dropped was a pen. I asked Paul Lauren if I could borrow a pen because I always have a pen on me. And I didn't have the pen yesterday. <clears throat> and uh, it's a beautiful Sharpie pen because I like to write notes when other cats are talking. I didn't even write notes because he's such a gentleman. So thank you for that pen. But when you steal something from someone, it means I got to go back and give you back this pen. This is a pretty nice Sharpie pen, though. And Paul's so influential. Like, today I'm walking around. I had a double espresso on my own today. I walked by the liquor store. I'm like, I don't have a bottle of Campari in the house. I have sweet vermouth and I have gin. But I do not have a bottle of Campari. And uh, my mother, we talk about this. He, he shares his Negroni recipe. It's good. I, he, I'm, I'm fully man-crushing on Paul Loren. Everybody does, though. Like, there's no one that's not like... That Polar Ren guy, I don't know. No, everybody's just like, that dude's amazing. He sings, he plays, magical ear, great vibe, great stuff. Um, uh, we're going to play into this podcast and conversation, which happens in Queen with a tune. Excuse me. With a tune called All By Myself. That's just a monster hit. It's a jammer. It'll set you into the vibe and the style and the tone of Paul. And then please enjoy. I'm going off the grid for the next two weeks. Woo! Yeah! And I'm already off. Paul put me there. He handed me the Negroni, and I was just like, and we're done here. Get me through these next few gigs. I have one more day of teaching and two more gigs. And then I will be in the Adirondacks for a week, you know, doing traditional things like water skiing and watching fire and sleeping. Those are my favorite things. Water skiing and probably watching a lot of soccer and playing soccer because it's the World Cup and this just gets me all kinds of excited. I, I woke up and watched Morocco versus Portugal today. I'm getting up at 8 to watch soccer games. It's just amazing. And the, uh, the old... There's another game coming on. I think Spain plays in at 2. I'm going to watch that. What am I talking about? Anyway, guys... Paul Lauren, he's, uh, he, I think he's actually secret famous. Like, I, I think that in a couple years, we'll look back at this podcast and be like, that was before Paul Lauren is like a brand, like a lifestyle brand. It's, he's going to be like Jimmy Buffett, I think. You know what I mean? I think his thing is so cool and so real and he's so honest and so fucking badass. And I listened back to the conversation a little bit, and this is me speaking directly to Paul. Like, I was using the word hustle. I mean, like, hustle, not like swindling people. Hustle in that, I think you're not, he's not afraid to work his face off. And he's monster talented. So that's like a deadly combo. <laughs> that's like, that's it. To make it in New York, if you work, if you're not afraid to never sleep and work your face off, and you're super talented, which is Everybody's super talented, but not everybody wants to work that hard. Like for me, yeah, I'm always like, man, do I have to work that hard? We work hard, but like I like to chill too. Um, guys, this is this is a this is a good one. 
This is a good one. This track is called All By Myself. You're probably going to just buy his music wherever it is because he's still an independent artist. Or maybe he's on a label. I don't even know, but I think he's a worthy artist to take your money because, God damn it, he makes fucking good music and good everything. His thing is beyond even the music, I think. It's telling you. He's going to be Oprah or Jimmy Buffett. You're going to be like, Paul Loren. He's going to be that level. Because just hang out. I got to go buy suits now. And God, I got to get my whole game together. I got to cut in my mustache like way tighter. Paul Loren, have a happy and delicious next couple of weeks. And we'll see you in July. from the 21st floor 
in the most beautiful view of Kew Gardens possible. I'm with the amazing entertainer, singer, songwriter, producer, <laughs> hustler extraordinaire, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Lauren. How are you, Paul? I'm feeling groovy, man. Thanks to you. And thank you for letting us do this outside on your magical balcony. <laughs> It is, it is kind of a magical balcony. We can, we can, we're looking northwest. I think we have a full view of Manhattan. We can see to your neighborhood straight ahead. Yes. We have Westchester just over the horizon. And we can see Long Island, which is the, uh, the motherland to the, to the right there. The home country. We can see. <laughs> Paul is not lying. This, this, this view is beyond panoramic. And, and to the far other side, we can see... Jersey, Jersey City. Jersey, beautiful Jersey, yes. Beautiful you can, Jersey. The Bayonne Bridge, actually. You can see the Bayonne hey, Bridge. Hey, Bayonne! <laughs> oh! Ah. That's amazing. And yeah. This, and this is a very new spot for you. This is a new mm -hmm. space. But you've been in Queens for a little bit. Yeah, I, I came here two years ago uh, as part of a exodus from Brooklyn. A one-man exodus. <laughs> there weren't other tribes involved, but it was, it was uh, my exodus. And yeah, I left Carroll Gardens, which is where my dad emigrated to from Sicily. He came to that neighborhood in the late 1950s. His sisters still have a home there on Henry Street. And uh, I left there. I was kind of just over the whole finance Wall Street thing taking over the hood. Mm -hmm. uh, and didn't want to pay 3600 or 4000 for a railroad-style apartment wasn't into that. You were done with that. Yeah, yeah. it was just kind of like, let me come to Queens, try and save some money, get a little, a little bit more than for what I'm working for and paying for. And uh, it's been two years here in Kew Gardens. I, I love it. Like Forest Hills, Kew Gardens are basically the same neighborhood. And as you can see, it's beautiful. It's green. Um, so green right now. <laughs> it's so green. It's the rain. Yeah, this is beautiful. It's like an old version of New York. It's a, it's, it's a Russian Jewish neighborhood now, but it feels kind of uh, like a lost version of New York, like in like an old, I don't know. It's got a got a throwback thing to a it. Time capsule of yeah, what, what was New York? Yes, which it, fits my kind of lifestyle anyway. It kind of <laughs> works in perfectly with your whole the things you love, right? The things I love, things I love. So, yeah, um, and I have to say, as a as a working musician, as a touring musician. You can, you can, this neighborhood's central. You can get out east really easily, really easily. You can get to Manhattan in 20 minutes, Brooklyn in 15, 20. I can get to your neighborhood in 15. I could hop across the bridge, across the sound, like no problem. No problem. You're in Connecticut. I'm in Connecticut. You're in Boston, yeah. Oh, and then the airports. You have LaGuardia 15 away and JFK 15 away. Yeah, no, that is, that's a good one. <laughs> The JFK is the one that hurts my soul. We're literally looking at the Van Wyck, and I see the line of traffic that... Yeah, you see. I'm like, I would drive you, but I'm just going to pay for your Uber. It'll be easier for all of us. Yeah, the cluster bumble that is the Van Vick. <laughs> Why the, is it always Vick. like that? Yeah. Think, uh. All right. Anything with that old Dutch name here in New York is just... Yeah. They weren't built to last, I think, you know? Spoiten Duivel. <laughs> the old, the old Dutch names. The old Dutch name, New Netherlands. New right? Netherlands. Um, so, I, I guess I heard Jeff Tui's. Well, I've been a, I've been a fan of your podcast since uh, since I spoke to Rebecca Havilland, and she was like, "Oh, I just did, did this thing with Paul uh, a few months ago." How's the wind? Are we all right? Oh no, you're perfect. You're all fine. Right, Sometimes right. I'm blocking the. Yeah, you're doing great. Um, 
she said, you know, I did this thing with Paul, and uh, she, she's like, oh, I went to college with him. I don't know where, where or when I spoke to her about you, but I was like, oh, subscribe. Uh, I heard her and Chris's thing, which was great, mm-hmm. and... They're, they're pros. Oh, they're pro the teachers and talkers, yeah. They're so pro. Yeah. And, um, and also, it illuminated me into their life, which I had no... Some of those things I had no idea about. I mean, I knew they were on this pop tour, and I knew, but it's nice to hear people's history, and nice to hear... And then I heard my dear old friend David Heilman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dave is incredibly entertaining, right? Oh, man. What a mensch. <laughs> what a mensch. Such a mensch. <laughs> Are you you're friends with Dave? You from, played with him? From or? another lifetime ago. Yeah. Yeah, we have... Yeah, our path has... It, yeah, we... I don't know. We met, uh, let's say, maybe seven or eight years ago now, I think, through my ex and through Elizabeth Zimmon. Do you mm, know? Her? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Of course. I think that was the connection there. Mm-hmm. And he's just so menschy and, like, just solid, and uh, he has the zen about him, and the whole, like, Scandinavian thing. That Perfect, <laughs> right? <laughs> Doesn't get any cooler than that, yeah? Oh, he's so cool. <laughs> Um, he's pretty much the coolest, like, is he like a dual citizen now of Norway and the States? It's not, I don't think it's that far away. He does, I think he lives there six months of the year. Right. And then he has to come back for a little bit. Okay. He's just a charming and, um... He's the ultimate gentleman, right? He really is. And I I heard that, I was actually driving out to Ohio, well, maybe on the way back, but either way, I was just driving through the, the nonsense that is... Uh, you know, Philadelphia, uh, uh, Pennsylvania, and we're like the never-ending eighty. I eighty, man. And we we tune in. I, I was in the car with Dave LeBlanc and Janine. I think. I think it was the three of us. I think you guys texted me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're listening to David's story, and uh, yeah. So I'm just anyway. I've been a fan of the show, and then I heard Jeff Tuey's, um, uh you know, interview last conversation. Let's call it. Uh, on the hobo, what's what's the name of that beer that you the guys? Are Lord doing? Hobo Glorious Ale. Yes, <laughs> where it was quite a beer. It was quite a spot. It's all yeah. And uh, Jeff is another mensch, just like a just a solid like. I don't know. He's true blue. Like there's no one like him, right? No, he is one of a kind. <laughs> <laughs> he's he is one of a kind, but. And all these people you named were all kindred spirits. I think it's like a love of the game, a love of the hustle, right? Right, like, right. We were just, Paul and I shared wonderful conversation already, and you were, everybody says about you, you know, this guy is working, he's hustling, he's doing everything. <laughs> you, now wait, so let's even start to be, do yeah. you do all your own recordings? I do. Yeah. You do the mic yeah. placement? You do the mix? I engineer you them. The, I engineer... You, uh, well, sometimes I'll have a co-engineer if I'm at a bigger space mm-hmm. for tracking bigger stuff. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'll engineer my drum sounds and, and all that stuff up and, <laughs> and mix it. And you mix it. Yeah. <laughs> and I heard a rumor you use all the original mics. Yeah, I went on a mission uh, maybe seven years ago, six or seven years ago. I had, I've gone through a bunch of different recording spaces in New York City, mm-hmm. and the first three were in Dumbo, uh, bef- again, before it became Wall Street, you know, junior. Yes. Uh, <laughs> whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, we were in, like, these old factories, and we were, you know, recording with AKG mics into Apogees, and I was like, I was like, 
these, these sounds are not the sounds that I know. And I went on a mission to just buy up a bunch of cheap ribbon and dynamic mics from the 50s and 60s and bought some, we bought some tape machines and I just decided to start recording like they did back then. Less mics. Less mics. Um, not, the fidelity was there certainly, but I couldn't afford like the Neumanns they were using back in the day. You couldn't afford a 47 or 67. No, they're untouchable, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but there's so many other mics out there, right? Yeah, right. the, the B-list of great mics. The B-list, yeah. yeah, the B-list. And there's a lot of great ribbon mics that, pe- that, are, that, were, that were cheap even eight years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, I just endeavored to learn how to record by trial and error in the way they did back then. And I've been using similar, those techniques, but a refined version of them ever since. Uh, and I will go into digital. I, w- I will start on analog and on tape machines, but I will, I will go into digital to mix and to edit and all that. But so. it starts all tape. It's all like two-inch tape, the real... It has to, yeah. It has to. One-inch yeah. tape or two-inch tape, yeah. And isn't that <laughs> one of the most... Like this beautiful espresso you gave me. <laughs> analog tape is one of the most glorious experiences recording, right? Yeah. It will it's analogous to the way our ears perceive the world, I think. And the high end is present, but it's never harsh, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the treble is never uh, and yeah, it's round, it's warm. Uh, my friend Evan Doobie, who I started this venture with years ago, likens it to um, the way the way a Polaroid looks compared to a digital camera, you know. There's something uh, inviting about it and human. And um, I don't know. The, the fidelity is less important to me than the, uh, the feel, what you capture. Yeah. So. I we, think it's. Your mic is good. What am I. Do you want load. a sock? Do no, you want, no, no. Do you want a shoe pad? <laughs> the lind- the wind will die down. Um, and the other. One of the things I really loved about. Only because I can share this, just pure joy, because I don't. I, not everybody gets to do this, but it's like <clears throat> when you finish a take, you get to go listen to the music and not like see the music. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the things that I was like, you listen back and you're like, oh, it sounds good. It sounds good. Whereas when you're watching it, you could be like, oh, well, you rushed the snare drum hit on beat four. We have, and like mm-hmm. when you're just listening to it, I'm like, it sounds good. It sounds alive. That's a good track. Let's take take three. It's like correct, correct. You know. Yeah, you have that experience where you, you do a take, the band walks into the control room, and everyone's just looking at the screen, right? Everyone's yeah. just standing around the board looking <laughs> at the screen. Looking at music. If there is a like, board. I yeah. mean, yeah, right, just looking at the just two screens. Just looking at the computer, yeah. But, you know, when I, uh, I have to be honest, when I produce people, uh, you know, a lot of it for ease is Pro Tools, right? Of course. But on my own stuff, I try to separate church and state a bit, and... If there is a computer monitor involved, I'll shut. I will not work with it. I'll shut it off. In my little uh, production space in Bushwick, I have a quarter-inch machine, and in the studio we've been working out of the last almost a year or a little more. Um, it's owned by uh, by Quinn McCarthy and Jeff Fedig. They're the engineers there. The Creamery in Greenpoint. Creamery. Yeah, it's what a, a great name. Yeah. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a Creamery. I know. Come on. Yeah, uh, it is a beautiful name. Uh, and they're beautiful guys, and they have a one-inch machine there, which we use. And we, I, 
Evan and I, Evan Doobie and I, we moved our old MCI mixing console into that space. We restored, <laughs> it's one of those crazy, crazy tales. We, we came upon an, an MCI that used to be a Criteria Studios in Miami in the mid 70s. And a bunch of classic records were made on it. Saturn and I Fever being one of them. Uh, you know, the overdubs for Rumors and Hotel California. And this was like the cocaine board. Like it was like Studio A, like the, the board. And so it came to us pigeon shitted and we <laughs> we hired this Croatian guy we flew him over he's he stayed in Brooklyn for two weeks and spent sweaty 10 sweaty days in in a Dumbo basement uh, restoring this console refurbishing it and now that thing is sitting in Greenpoint at the creamery so years where, later where did he fly from <laughs> Croatia somewhere in Croatia he, you flew this guy <laughs> flew in because it was cheaper like he's than like the last specialist alive he's like a he's a, he's not the last one but he's just cheaper than the American MCI specialists you know you'd be paying like 750 a day for the American guys <laughs> this but, guy you're like you just get him the plane ticket yeah you just get him the plane ticket you pay him you know half the price per day you put him up you give him you know tuna salad sandwiches and <laughs> did you hang out with some, him some cokes uh, now I tried to not hang out with him but <laughs> <laughs> but he's an expert but he's like an MCI guy and he also makes disco records there he does like not oh. ironic uh, late 70s style Giorgio Moroder disco stuff mm -hmm. like it's super on point and he presses it to vinyl like that's what he does and he's a tech and he's a tech yeah so we have this board the board sounds incredible the it's board an insane amount of history insane amount of history uh, you know there's still like again like I said like Barry Gibbs a trail of his cocaine buried somewhere under one of the faders. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there, it's serious. And, uh, and yeah, we went on a crazy mission and like, you know, 40 grand later, we, it's, it was in storage for three years, I should, I should add. And then the creamery studio was nice enough to take it on and that's where it's sitting today. Beautiful. Yeah. What a story. I know, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. <laughs> it, this is, we're talking, yeah, I'm not even familiar with this piece of gear, but I assume it's some giant yeah, it's a 28-channel, yeah, it's a 28-channel console. Um, you feel just like the king of the world. You're like, let me move this, yeah. big buttons. and MCI, they weren't Neve, but what they were was like the GM, like if Neve was, I don't know, the Jaguar of that time, like MCI was like work good, like like the Buicks. They were like, it was like, yeah, a, yeah. it was a, a nice Buick. Yeah. It was a workhorse though, mm. you know? And it, is like a Buick that it never died. Yeah, yeah it never it's died. Still going. It never died. Yeah. It, yeah. And the preamps on it—it's just a gorgeous sounding console. So I mixed some of my early stuff through it, and I endeavor to mix the uh, what will be, I guess, the LP that I'm working on through it again uh, in in a few months' time, as soon as it's ready. And how many tracks is the new LP going to be? I think it'll be ten. It'll be a, a condensation of what's come and some new things. But I've never really put out an LP for this incarnation of who I am. <laughs> yes, okay. It's all so, been singles, kind of, right? It's all and been little, singles, little EPs. Little EPs. Little, little teases, little tastes. Yeah. You know, uh, a, a little biscotto, but you don't get the full gelato. Yeah, you get the three scoops. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's time. And uh, at the very least, like, you know, with, like, what you're doing, you want to come up with a you want to formulate the thesis and be like, that's the thing. This mm -hmm. is this is the the vocabulary of the project, and here is what here's the lexicon for how I want I want to do things. And I've, I've 
kind of meandered in that way, and I've teased it, but I, I've never put out a statement, right? Mm-hmm. And we, as we were talking about, we're like the Oregon Trail generation. Yes, that's right. But we still grew up with full records, like full albums. Mm-hmm. We're maybe, I don't know, the last of, of those. So I'm like, though, that art form still appeals to me. I still want to like tell a story in 10 and 12 songs. Like I, I love that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's time. It's time to do it. And does this new LP, is it going to have a through story? Is it almost like a concept album-ish vibe? I think all the songs are related from the same time period, or yeah, I, I think um, yeah, they're they're all the songs will be written. Most of the songs were written in a two two year three year span. I think the overarching theme is romance and optimism, mm-hmm. um, and I want to structure the record like I do the live set, which is like just kill him, kill him, kill him, dip a little bit, spread some romance, yep. arch your way up to the end of side one, yep. kill him, kill him, kill him, side two bold statement at the end of side like that kind of thing like just a beautiful big ballad at the end yeah maybe a big ballad at the end yeah without Uh, giving away too much yeah yeah of course of course yeah (laughs) but maybe the A&R people have a different idea of what the sequence is those bastards (laughs) they'll be like this is a nice vision and all but it's 2018 (laughs) all those A&R people that are crowding around (laughs) Paul please come on now please Paul I feel like you are you're bound for great things because I think part of what <laughs> attracts me to the podcast format is that it's raw mm-hmm. and rough and you're going to hear the wind and yeah, that's right. hear us talking and saying mistakes and stuff like that. I'm not saying your music has mistakes in it, but it, it's <laughs> oh, it very should. real. Yeah. I, I listen to all your Spotify tracks. <laughs> thanks, man. And then... You, you shouldn't have. No, quite literally, you should, you should not have. <laughs> Listen to all of them. I don't know. I, I was checking them all out. No, I was getting into it. And then I did, I feel like the first time I listen to music, you get this overall, the big, like, what does this music make me feel like? And I was like, well, this makes me feel really good. Feel Feeling good. And then I did, last night I was enjoying a Wave Crasher IPA oh, after a, a long day in the hot sun. Beautiful. And then I... I fell, I fell into your, 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 like, I was in your Venus trap. I was just like, Aww. this is such a feel-good music, mm-hmm. but, and it's happy music, but I, oh, there is a little tinge of sadness all by myself. Like, <laughs> I'm trying, you know, because, like, the yeah. second listen, then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to listen to the words. I got the big right. emotional statement. Right. And then I'm listening to the words, because then the, the third, fourth listen, that's where, like, my inner guitar player, I'm like, all right, what's the guitar player doing? You know, like, mm-hmm. like <laughs> totally, totally. But then I felt a little, sure. a little, I was like, wait, yeah, he's all by himself though. Right. Is this, I, <laughs> is this sad though? Cause I feel happy right now. You know, like <laughs> I like, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way. I like that dichotomous thing of, um, uh, melancholy mixed with groove or, or vice versa where there's, uh, or we're like, I don't know, like that push and pull where, like, man, this thing's upbeat and it's pumping, but if you do you second listen lyrics, you're like, yeah. ah, there's a little Wait bit a of second. tinge yeah. of sadness there. But I think the sadness is constructive. I hope that it is, because in my life, um, I mean, it's the blues, right? It's like, why do you why do you sing? You sing to work through some things, maybe. You write to work through some things, and. Uh, Ultimately, it, it should be constructive. It should be like a, some kind of catharsis because you, you're, you're, the, the very process is constructive. Mm-hmm. You're making something. Mm-hmm. So out of this a tinge of melancholy, like let's add a little bit of groove to it. 
Let's yeah. add some some pumping, you know, you know, mm-hmm. and then uh, let's make the chords mostly major, and uh, and let's let but let's <laughs> let's funky little baseline, some funky, funky little groove. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like that. That really appeals to me. And the other way where a song could be uh, brooding in 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 the harmonic structure, like the music could be dark and minory, but the lyrics are like, oh, maybe there's some like happy, optimistic lyrics. I love that, that play. Mm. It appeals to me as a writer, as a listener. So, oh, and wow. it's in all the standards, like all the American songbook stuff too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's there's a hint of that melancholy even in the the most upbeat, optimistic songs. So. I love that. Yeah, no, it's in there. You sneak it in. You sneak it in, and like, it's good. Like uh, last week, I was I was listening to such a great recording too. Just the sound of this thing. But ain't that a kick in the head? Dean Martin was written by uh, Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen. I'm sure they recorded it at Capitol Studios. Like just this big band sound. But like, ain't that a kick in the head? Like love, like this upbeat song. And he's like, uh, do I need it? Do I want it? Is it a part of my life? He's questioning. He's working through it in the song. Yeah, yeah. And you it, hear the thought process. Love's yeah. a kick in the head. It, it loves a hole in the boat, as the sailor quoted. Like, like that's cool to me. Yeah. You know, he's he's questioning the idea of love in his life. Does he need it? So I, I love that that um, that play, and it's it's there for me. Uh, so yeah, thanks for thanks for listening. <laughs> no, that's that's good. I remember the great Dan Romer. Who, Mm-hmm. who is the all-star of the purchase class I attended. Mm-hmm. He heard some music when I was much younger, and I was trying to do, like, party rock and fun rock. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know... You were doing party the, rock. The people who do happy music are always the saddest people on the inside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> so the, yeah. in my mind, that when I was listening to All By Myself, on repeat, I was like, wait, maybe he's... Just so, d- but no, you're not. I, can, I know you're not. Your energy is not that Thanks. at all. You know what I mean? Thanks. Like, yeah, I mean, we all have our thing. I mean, we all, that's a, that's a beautiful, like, we're all human and we're all going through this weird experiment together. And uh, I don't know, just the form. I'm using a vocabulary from the late 50s and early 60s. That was the, that is the thesis. That is your thesis statement. Use the vocabulary, but build on it and introduce newer themes, like, the singer-songwriter movement and the 90s happened. You're not going to get past that. Like, you're not going to, like, go back in a time machine. So you're going to talk about yourself. Yep. When back in the day, everyone's writing in third person. It, it's okay to write in first person, but use the vocabulary of that time period. And that's kind of my hypothesis here. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, can you can you talk about how you're feeling? Can you talk about your, your latest love affair? Can you talk about the state of the world? Um, but using that... that um, context that that infrastructure to do so so yeah it's beautiful that's the idea but wait i want to go i want to just talk about you because i uh you just mentioned suny purchase class so so rebecca had mentioned something to me i think it was her who said that you uh and forgive me if i'm if i'm uh peering in too closely to the inner depths of your soul (laughs) but she mentioned that you studied classical guitar Mm -hmm. um like segovia style kind of vibe or Yes. Okay. And you were like black turtleneck, uh, you know, thick black frame glasses, perhaps, like yes. just like this, I don't know, uh, just this this astute, um, like the student of a certain thing. And you had a certain, and you were a bit more, uh, she mentioned that you kind of reined it in a bit more than you, than you, than you do now. You, you, you almost were uh, just a different version of yourself. 
So I'm curious about that version of Paul and what brought you there and maybe what brought you here. Do you mind if I reverse no, that? No, no, absolutely. <laughs> be careful what you get because you'll, you'll be interviewing me. <clears throat> um, and Rebecca cracks me up because I sub her her teaching when she leaves and she always tells the kids this story so I come into this story I'm like you know telling a 20 year old right. it's like alright but someone with life experience this is a much different story <laughs> um, I think the real impetus of this is that maybe where I grew up in a one stoplight town the concept of being a musician was a foreign concept, a working musician. This, mm-hmm. th- these people didn't really exist. That was just like the stoner that played guitar down the street, right, and right. He, he made 200 bucks at the bar on Friday. Mm-hmm. So my father, who was a college professor of equine science, a horse trainer, wow. married to my very Italian mother, Yeah, and he is a, as a mayonnaise face, as my mother would call him, he is the greatest lover of Italian culture, I should say. Like, he he carries on... I mean, he's the... When the Tarantella comes on, he's the first he's one the up. He's the first one up. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're not even Italian. You're, Throws he's his like, shoes yeah. out. And he's, yeah. <laughs> he loves it. He yeah, goes right, crazy. Right, 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 right. Uh, he he's was, making sausage and peppers on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. He was he was doing that. He he's, was... He was yeah. Yeah. He's that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah he's yeah, the one yeah. like, let's get the sausage casing and go make the sausage. <laughs> right. It's Christmas time. Right. Um, Beautiful. He pushed me into uh, a more academic route. Okay. Right? So I was like, okay, I will get my PhD and become a college professor. And what can I do that in? That would be classical guitar. Yeah. That was all that existed in 1998. Sure. Like the age, right there. Yeah. There wasn't even, jazz wasn't even really in no. university yet, per se. Not really. Not really. It was, cl- it was classical studies. You had, to, you had to do classical. And then I was a music ed major. Right. And then I pulled out of that and became a philosophy major right in the you know, when you're 20 years old, right when you're just the perfect cocktail wow. of too much drugs <laughs> and super anxiety. Right. And uh, so, yes, when I met Rebecca, I had, <laughs> I fancied myself an intellectual, right? Yeah, so you were on an <laughs> academic path there, like, for sure. I think that was you, the original That was the original, the original vision. Yeah. So were, then were you, you were playing guitar, uh, you, were, you were playing like rock guitar before college? Were you, were you like doing the Zeppelin stuff, the way we all kind of learn how to play our instruments and learning Beatles records, or what was it for you? Well, again, this is another dark spot in my soul, Paul. <laughs> 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 but so where the time and place where I grew up, it was probably through like Dave Matthews and Fish. Okay, that's really dark. That's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't don't talk about let's that. Let's bring but. it back to me, Paul. <laughs> no, no, but no, this no, is good. Let's look at me. But then, no, where were you when you were? No, I, I 18, <laughs> 19. It's true. I was in my sting, uh, in my sting in the police phase. You did a sure. sting phase. Yeah, I had a sting phase. I definitely had a sting phase. Yeah. There's certain. Were you playing bass in front of a trio? I was playing a little bit of bass. I was playing guitar, so that's pretty dark. Uh, <laughs> like I had like a rolling. You played guitar in the early late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, you were the like first one when man. it was not cool at all anymore. Yeah, you're always yeah. cutting edge. I like that. But like there was one on the market. It was like a rolling thing, and I hooked it up to a MIDI control. You know, it was a MIDI controller. And I hooked up. To, anyway, so so then what? Um, all right, wait, wait. So you're on this academic path, real quick. <laughs> what? You moved to New York City when? In the, oh three. Okay. So not long after you graduated. Or I finished, I had two more years of college at Purchase, which I heard about their 
studio composition program. Right. I got accepted as a junior into that program, and I got accepted into the jazz program as a freshman. Wow. So that was an easy choice. I was like, dude, I, I came home from college every year. I was like, I hate this. I don't want to do this. I just want to play music. Right. So I did that for two years, and... Were you doing club date stuff when you on your breaks or on weekends or no, not really. I I am newer to the real club date working guy scene. I was okay. when I was in my twenties. I was adamant about trying to only do original music. I was like, I can't. Yeah, it's I'm, nice. I'm not though. doing a wedding gig. That's really nice. Until I was like thirty, and then you're right. all of a sudden you start making that kind of money, and it alters your life. You know, you like yeah, and it also kind of fun. It funds your art, which it does. is yes, which is but. You know, there is a ba- right. There is the balance. There's right? this whole balance yeah. to it, yeah. right? And it's yeah. it's always, like you said, it's this is an experiment. Mm-hmm. Because right. I teach a lot of lessons. Yes. Okay. Do you teach or I don't produce know. No, or? I can't teach anymore. I have no patience for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I, can't I, do this. I directed uh, children's theater um, in late high school into my early to mid twenties. Actually, I did like a five or six year run of directing children's theater from a musical point of view and it was all I was doing all musicals and the kids ranged from in the summertime it was like kindergarten through fifth and then in the school year it was middle school age and I got to the end of that stretch and I was just so burnt with the amount of energy that it takes uh, especially when you're dealing with 30 plus at a time right teaching songs to like an auditorium losing full your of voice losing sure, your voice yeah. on a Saturday morning and you're doing like a wedding the night before you know you're just like ah doing a wedding the night up so that was an interesting time but I, I got to a point where I'm like the next the next time I, I teach a child uh, might be my own <laughs> <laughs> will we'll have to be my own because I ain't doing this no more but I, I yeah, commend like, you I'm done with this I commend yeah. you I, 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 that's incredible to me that you have that amount of energy because it certainly takes a lot of energy and patience those are the two things yeah the patience is the one that wears thin mm-hmm. I have the energy I think you just you're like Ugh. well you're like a bur- yeah you I have do to show it. you how to play G chord again you know <laughs> right right <laughs> But are you 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 doing one on one stuff? Is that true? Yeah, mostly okay. the school that Chris and Rebecca and Greg Salcedo, Mayo taught us, right? Nikki, right. everybody, yeah, Everyone's we're up all there. there. Right. So it's already highly motivated, mm-hmm. uh, already very into music kids. Like, okay, They're they there for, would yeah. know a Dean Martin record, whereas it's yeah. not, you know. Yeah, they'd be like, "Can you, Mr. Madison? Can you teach me? Ain't that a kick in the head?" Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, oh, that, I want to check this one out too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That school's like CBGB's, like like a, it's like a scene. It's like like that school is like the Cavern Club in Liverpool in like '62. There's like a there's like a, a burgeoning off kind of tipping. Like I don't know. There's a whole thing there. No, you, there's it's what you, happened. What what's what? How do you describe you know the like-minded individuals that teach there and then this this beautiful tree that you all kind of are branches on? What's the vibe? What how? Well, to I think that. Charlie and Roseanne have captured on like educating in contemporary music before anybody else, right? Like mm-hmm. this is you, you know. So people like Megan Tally. I was doing a gig Saturday. The drummer, someone was like, "Do you know this drummer? Her name's Elena." I was like, "Yes, I taught her when she was in tenth grade, and I knew wow. when she was in tenth grade that she had the best feel on the drums as wow. a tenth grader." You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, now she's twenty six and she's touring with uh, the tour of waitress, and then people are telling me about Great. her. I'm like, "No, yeah." I, I know who she is. So I, wow. it's a good fostering scene that does the basics and teaches you how to go do a club date gig. If you needed, ah. if Paul Lauren needed a backup band, 
we could give you a bunch <laughs> of seniors and they would like cool. be able to follow you and I think I don't get through your charts or know how to teach themselves. So they learn wow. very early. Which all you metropolitan yeah. people like you, yeah. raised in Long Island, right? You yeah. are exposed to this way to generate income with music. Hmm. Like this is already a part of you. You were probably you were doing wedding gigs at twenty years old. Yeah, eighteen. 17, 18. 18. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> so I, stayed, I went to college on Long Island, um, Adelphi University. What did you study there? I, like, like your foray into philosophy, I, I went a different route than music. I, I, I started as an anthropology, archaeology major, which still interests me. I'm like, still fascinating stuff. Still, right? I'm like, I still kind of just want to spend six months and go dig in the, in the Palestinian desert, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love <laughs> Learning about it's involved. amazing to me, and uh, yes, and then I segued uh, two years into. I had a double track major at that time. They were kind of forward thinking. They you could choose between business and poli sci, and then your second track was uh, foreign language, French or Spanish. So I was a Spanish and business major, and then I ended up minoring in in Italian because I had enough credits. I think so. I was just like, I'll oh, just tack on the Italian minor. Uh, Did you already speak Italian? I had from your home yeah, life. Yeah, but I think I, I honed it in in college. I went to I studied in Italy in my junior year of college. I went I studied in Florence, and I kind of really honed it in at that point. That was an eye opening trip for me. Wow! I had never been out of the country. Really? We never went to Italy as a kid. I never left the U.S. Yeah. I never even gone to like Montreal. You know. <laughs> The extent of my the true Long Island thing is that you never leave Long Island, yeah, right? Because it's so provincial. It's yeah. really funny. <laughs> and some of my friends on Long, like there's some people that I know that just they, yeah, they're just there. Uh, like, what are you doing? The city is like 40 minutes away. You don't come on it. Like, just take it, get on the train. Come anyway, on it. You know, know. We it's, have, as my mother-in-law put it, we have everything we need. We have the yeah, beach yeah, yeah. and the city. And you're like, <laughs> well, that's true. Then you're fucking right. All right, I get it. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I guess the the hustle that you describe. Yeah, it, it, it just now, it's a part of my life, so I don't think of it in, in any other way. I don't uh, ascribe more importance to it. Um, it. It's always been a bit of seven days a week for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always found incredible value in the club dates. Even as a 21-year-old playing the bar scene, the crab shacks and clam huts on the South Shore mm-hmm. and uh, doing that whole thing, Like you just play every type of music. You do it all. So you just, you know, I mean, how many songs, do you uh, just being a club date musician, you just know so many songs. All of a sudden, yeah, you're like, wow. Yeah. You know 500 songs, like just right. pretty much enough to get through it, right? Correct. That's enough. Yeah. And you learn, you learn, it's not only learning the tunes, but you learn how to learn tunes in a quick, with a quick turnover. Yes. You learn how to learn. You learn how to, um, go, especially as a singer and player, it's, you know, you, like, how to get the melody, how to lock it in. I've come up with a little system on how to learn things quickly and break things down. So that's just a part of what I've been doing for a long time. And uh, But again, there's like that balance where if you do, like I just came off a, a stretch where I did 12 nights in a row, okay, of just singing. <laughs> <laughs> 12 in a row? This is how my, do you like, speak right now? I know. You're this pro. Is, You're well, pro. It's, yeah, but I lost my voice in the middle of it. Mm. And... Uh, 
so there is a balance. I'm like, uh, you know, am I going to do 12? How am I going to do? How am I going to do 12 nights? You do create a little anxiety around it, and you don't want to phone it in any night. You don't want to yeah. like, you know, I'm saving myself here. I'm going to just sing in baritone for this gig for three hours at a low. You know, no, you got to. You always got to. Got to go for it. Got to yeah. go for it. And so you just make other adjustments in your life where you're like, well, I need nine hours of sleep tonight to recover. And a lot of water. And a lot of water. And, and a neti pot. And a neti pot. And whatever, yeah. Steam, tea, honey. Steam, yeah. And not drinking, I think. Uh, although it was Negroni week last week, so that was really hard. But, you know, not drinking too much and all the other stuff that comes along with it. Kale. <laughs> salads. and I don't know. Um uh, you're, see, you see, you knew this stuff that I'm still coming to terms with now, <laughs> right? Because I was recently talking to a singer friend about this. That I never, when kind of my first step into this was maybe 2010, where I played guitar with Jay Stolar and Jason and Mike Tichilla, and watching Jay sing. We did like 30 nights, and he would. It was being a singer on the road. He's constantly doing voice exercises, right. constantly drinking water. And I was like, man, fuck being a singer. Like, I right. like being a guitar player. I can smoke. Right. I can drink. Yeah. And I can still play guitar. So, like, yeah, you had to oh. learn the self-survival I'm so techniques. Envious. I'm yeah, so envious. Yeah, no, it, I, was, I, was, I was like, and now, yeah, now I'm singing more. And I'm like, slowly like, wait a second. Yeah. I can't blast seven whiskeys and then sing the next day and you're like mm. you had the self-restraint during your favorite drink week <laughs> it's Negroni ring is it's my like cocktail your middle name yeah. yeah yeah in fact would you like one do you want to do you want a segue right now <laughs> we went it's time we had, for a Negroni we had a, do you want to take a quick break I'll make you a Negroni alright let's take a quick break <laughs> break time <laughs> The kid from Rushmore. I was like Jason Schwartzman's character in Rushmore as a middle schooler. <laughs> and I was, No, and I was like, if there was a Latin club, I would have been the president of it. Like, I was, you know, Virgil's Aeneid for me. I was, not that I was good at it, but I was trying to read it in, in the original Latin. And I was so into the Romance languages, and I was trying to learn Portuguese, and I was definitely... I learned Spanish before I learned Italian because my father never taught me Italian. Mm -hmm. So, uh, although he was a fluent speaker of both the Sicilian dialect and Italian, the real language, um, he never taught me, but I was around it. And you know, when you're around something, you grow up with, with a certain thing in your ear, you're just kind of, you get used to the inflection and to the, the grammar, the structure of it. So I knew the sound of Italian. I know what it should sound like. and. As a musician, if you know what something should sound like, if you have that ear that you develop, yeah. you can start to mimic those sounds, you know? Uh, and I guess I kind of do that in music, too. If someone's like, play Maggie Mae by Rod Stewart. I'm like, all right, I can, I can get the Rod voice. I can get that down, because you, you, you can mimic it. Like, yeah. It's the same thing with language. It starts from a place of mimicry, and then it becomes your own your voice, at some, your own voice at some point, mm -hmm. you know? And that first trip to Italy was in, so important for me in establishing my own voice as a speaker, as a listener, as having, uh, you know, just injecting me into everything I had learned about it, the Italian language. And then food and drink. I was like, I had a Negroni for the first time in Italy as a 21-year-old, and I was like, uh, why isn't this a part of my life? Uh, <laughs> like, and we're having one right now. Like, why isn't it? Like, and uh, as soon as I got home from that mind-blowing trip, I there was no going back to the sting in the police, eighteen-year-old version of me. 
Yeah. There was just like a shift. So that's why I was curious about your shift. Like if there was like a moment that happened. But for me, it was like that trip to, to Florence and the peninsula. I was like, oh, I'm a full... I, I saw the path to being in, like the real version of myself or the version that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't think I've ever gone back. And I, my life is richer because of it. Having that, having, and then just traveling everywhere since then. A lot of it from music. Uh, I've been very lucky. It's been it's been great. And it's all over now. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's all done with at this it's point. All, but, but looking back for the last here, yeah. twelve years, yeah. Well, <laughs> guys, I pushed record in the middle because everything that Paul says is just pure gold to me. Revealing his heart and telling me he, the consummate host, he has mixed us up some beautiful drinks and has, what do we really call this, Paul? What is the word? It's kind of an antipasto or a little tapas style spread. A little tapas style spread with the perfect Negroni. Yeah. Cheers. Salute. Chin-chin. Yes. Mm. And the Negroni... It's funny, like we were talking about, like we have these cliches, right? So people know me as a Negroni drink. I love, it is my calling card, but it is something I, it's a part of my life. And for me, there's only one Negroni. The rest of these little variations, we got mezcal or bourbon, they're Negroni-esque, but they're not Negronis. And for me, the Negroni is this. Everyone, every grandmother has their own recipe. Mm-hmm. But it's equal parts gin to Campari to Italian sweet vermouth. Um, and the sweet vermouth that I use in my Negroni is Punte Mes, uh, which is cut, it's mixed between a sweet vermouth and an Amaro. So it has some botanicals and a little bit of the bitterness, but it is a rounder, sweeter thing. I love Punte Mes. Um, and I, one large ice cube for me, and sometimes with citrus, depending on if little, the citrus is in season. So that's, uh, uh, you know, which is usually around the wintertime. Summertime, that's right. uh, you don't really need it. Forgo the fruit. Forgo yeah. the fruit. Yeah. Let the drink speak for itself, man. <laughs> this is delicious. But, and the gin. Yeah. Well, it, now, the does gin. it... The gin would really affect the flavor. Yeah. I feel like this gin... You got to use good quality stuff. You're not going to use Gordon's or Fleischmann's. Uh, what would be your <laughs> traditional plastic. store brand gin, then? I, I think if Hendrix you, works really well. Hendrix is yeah. The, yeah. And it's most of... It's readily available now. Everywhere. I mean, ten years ago, it was kind of like, "Oh, what's this?" Hendrix. It was the hipster gin at first, gin. and now it's yeah, it is everywhere. Now it's like distributed by like you know, uh, I don't know, Tito's or something. Whoever distributes it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Hendrix works really well. Best to. That's the thing. It's like the dis, the local dis, micro distillery movement, like the microbrewery movement here in the states, has ca- caught on. So like, where's your local distillery? Go buy their gin because mm-hmm. gin's easy to easy to make. Like, easy to make. it's not like a bourbon or a whiskey where it takes some time to age. And you can you can have last year's gin, and uh, and it's gonna be delicious. So Brooklyn, they make amazing gin in Brooklyn. Here in Queens, like, find the local gin. This is the Berkshire Mountain Distillery, where I was the other day, and uh, they use one of my favorite plants in this gin, which is licorice root, uh, which I'm uh. such a licorice fan. But it's kind of in there, and it just gives a sweet, round, like, ah, love it. It's good for the voice, too. That's my excuse for yeah. different drinks. <laughs> Licorice is great for the voice. Oh, uh, mm. this, um, <laughs> my mother used to drink Campari and orange juice before uh, dinner. Aperitivo, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, that, like, they do that in brunch now. They'll add Campari, orange juice, Prosecco. 
uh, Camarian orange juice is a like it's like a tip, it's like an Italian breakfast juice. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Like, <laughs> yeah, delicious. Delicious. Or Campari grapefruit juice. That would be right. Amazing uh, as well. Up the proverbial alley. Up the alley, and then she she was into that art. The traditional that Campari poster you have right here. Yes, I had it in my uh, room as a high schooler. Okay, yeah, I love that. It's like this. It's this clown. We call him the Campari clown. He's the bitter clown, mm-hmm. and he's he's like dancing with a bottle of Campari in his hand in a, in a orange peel that's like peeled around the circumference of the orange fruit, and he's like popping out of it. Yeah. Like, and he's like, and by the way, I always feel that way every time I drink Campari. I'm like, <laughs> that's my spirit. Uh, I am the clown. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Like. Yeah. So you, this is so twenty one. You get a taste for the. Campari, and then it was just no turning back from the Sting character. Yeah, right. Yeah, there, there was like the Sting, Billy Joel. He had other phases, though. I had other yeah. phases. Rebecca, yeah, he had like, other phases. Yeah. Pre-intellectual wannabe, mm-hmm. I was just the full-blown <laughs> jam band rocker, my dark face, you know? There was okay. other characters in there, too. Like, did you have pre-incarnations of Sting? Yeah, I mean, Besides, so in between, so eighth grade to <laughs> Sting, we have a an unenlightened period yet, not an unlit. Yeah, well, I think it was laying the groundwork for what I would discover, like all that stuff with linguistics, and I was so interested in Mediterranean history as like a middle school or high school. I was like, that's what brought me to be an anthropology major, archaeology major. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, there was like, yeah, I mean, listen, I grew up on Long Island, on Long Island. Right there, uh, we're on it right now. We're on it. Yeah. yeah, we're on the island. Um, I Billy Joel was an unavoidable uh, part of my upbringing, um, and the Beatles were there, and uh, my mother was playing Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons and Motown and disco and like classic R and B, and I grew up with Michael Jackson. I mean, all that stuff was just there. Was she a musician too? She has wonderful intonation, relative pitch. She can sing, right? Uh, I don't know she's lost. I don't, I don't know when the last time she's done it, but I grew up with her kind of singing around the house, and, like, she used to play a little bit of organ and stuff, but she never made it her vocation, mm-hmm. right? But, it, but I just grew up with her enthusiasm for music. And, um, and also, on my dad's side, we used to go up to this Italian resort in the Catskills, uh, where he worked seasonally. <laughs> he was a social director, and there was this two-man band that really influenced me. They were playing a lot of Italian hits, but also, like, classic American pop stuff from the 80s, everything from, like, Love Lift Us Up, where we belong, to Volare, you know? So, <laughs> Volare, <laughs> so yeah. I was exposed to all the all the stuff. But, yeah, there was an uncooler... There's all phases, right? You have many... There are many faces of and phases of Paul Madison... Yes. As there are for me, but the the Italian trip set me off on a. That's like if if someone's gonna like do LSD for the first time, they're never quite the same person. That was kind of my trip, you know. That was. Although I've experimented with the other stuff yeah. too, around that same time period, like. But that was the, an uh, awakening. It was an awakening. Um, the Cambrian explosion, if you will. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> yes, in, in uh, geologic or uh, anthropological terms. Yes, terms. Yes. Yeah, in anthropological terms, for sure. That was my agricultural revolution. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> right. That's great. Uh huh. That was what set it down the path. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I was living on Long Island into my early twenties. So I had left my parents' house at the end of college. I rented a Victorian home in Huntington on on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, not far from Hicksville, by the way. Have that you must, been? That must have been. Yeah, I've been to Huntington. Taken yeah. there by my wife. It must have been beautiful. The old village. I had like a little fishing boat for a couple of years with a friend of mine, and we I lived it up like as a twenty-four year old and twenty-five-year-old in you Huntington. Were the king of Huntington. I was right? King of Huntington. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was good. It was really good. Yeah. But it's the big fish thing in a way too, right? So New York was beckoning me. I was like, well, it's time. But I, but anyway, the point was I was drinking Negronis when they had to, like, before they, there was, like, Negroni week and it was, like, social media where you, right? I mean, I was drinking Negronis where the bartender would have to go down to the storage room, pick up a bottle of Campari with, like, a label <laughs> on it from the 70s, yeah. dust it off. Crusted. Crusted, sugary, yeah. like, and, like, what is, what is a Negroni? I would order a Campari soda. They would give me a Bacardi soda. Like, they just... I was doing it before it was a thing, yeah, and that was fine. Like that was cool, and, I, and it wasn't in a pretentious way. It was just like I was in Italy, and like that was the thing that was it just became part of my life. Yeah. So, so, um, and I think that set me off like palate wise with the bitterness stuff. I love these amaros, and I love, um, and I, I became a vegetarian around that time too, and I was like, just up my cooking game with. You know, how do you do an artichoke? How do you how do you do bitter greens? How do you you know do things that I don't know? Uh, how do you make vegetables taste fucking delicious? Delicious <laughs> veggies. That yeah. was a mission. That's a mission. Because if you can make veggies, if you can make greens taste fucking killer without messing them up too much, um, that's that's a noble it's a noble mission to be. <laughs> As, as a cook, as a cook, you know. And then when you taste them, you know. You know. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah, it's like it's like using the rare cuts of meat. It's like, how do you make a pig's foot fucking banging? Just kill it, right? Yes. Right. How do you do it? Pig and knuckle, it, and you're like, ugh, crispy skin, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the same mission. It's, it's the same, same mission. mission. It's poor people food is what it is. Vegetables. And I was like, oh, Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet. Mediter-, that all kind of gelled for me at that time after Italy. So humble food, but making it delicious, fresh, the drinks, the wine, the lifestyle, a little too much joie de vivre, but you're 24, 25. <laughs> you're, right. You had a boat, you had a house. You're yeah. working, you know, four weddings a weekend. You're singing four weddings a weekend at that point. You're kind of raking it in. You're like, I'm just going to spend my money and <laughs> why not travel, yeah. go to Portugal, go wherever you like, just who cares, you know? Times have changed, though, Paul. <laughs> Those are the Obama years. <laughs> it's a different time now. Oh, uh, that's um... not even the Obama. Those are like the end of the GW Bush, you know, years. So that's that's a lot now, Paul. That's a lot to it, go down that road. But yeah. we're not. We're not. <laughs> Wow. We're deep into this conversation, you, so most of my fan base won't listen this far in, so it's <laughs> it's totally fine. It's of course. Most of the eighty people that follow me on Facebook won't get out of here. Mm. No. So uh, oh, and you were always writing songs then? In the Huntington Hay phase, like <laughs> hay days, were you writing songs too? And it was a hay phase a hay for phase. sure. Yeah, it was a <laughs> Yeah, I was That was always a thing. Yeah, I think it was like the mimicry thing was like how do you uh, how do you do She Loves You as you're like a six year old what is your version of that so you have that kind of parallel in your life 
where you're trying to mimic the songs that you loved and put pen to paper in some simple way? Yeah, it started in like seventh or eighth grade where I was trying to do the Kurt Cobain thing. Mm, cool. And I wrote a song okay, about so my you, girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. And then I wrote a song about how I hated my parents. The most cliche, <laughs> teen angst, those were my first two songs. But were they groovy? Did they have the groove on the bottom? <laughs> the parent hate song. <sighs> no. The groove of a punk rocker. Okay, yeah. all right. Cool. Not not hip metropolitan groove that you have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like a metropolitan. Like I grew up in West Hempstead. <laughs> like, dude, like, dude, it wasn't Upper the, West Side. Like, <laughs> I didn't grow up. Like, no, all the best music comes from just outside yeah, the hip I, shit, though. I you guess. know what I mean? That's why you are who you are. Like, yeah, maybe you were like, oh, I'm gonna try to do this, but you were really the guy doing it, and still are. You know? Yeah. There's there's a point where the songwriting. Uh, you, okay. There's a point where your influence has become who you are. And I'm trying to still get there with this project mm -hmm. because it's okay to like write a tune, um, you know, using the context of something that you love. It's okay to be like, oh, I really want to write a Smokey Robinson, Robinson song. Or I really want to write like a Dean Martin type thing. But at, at a certain point, it has to be you. Um, but that is unavoidable because... You're never going to sound like Dean Martin, and you sure as hell ain't going to sound like Smokey. <laughs> um, so if you're, if you're coming at it with a true heart and from a true place and talking about your life and singing in the way that feels comfortable to your voice, even in, if you're writing in that kind of style, it's going to be you. Mm -hmm. Because it, it sure as fuck ain't Smokey Robinson, man. Um, so that was, that was cool for me. That was like an eye-opening thing. I'm like, I, I'm not going to get away from myself, even if I, I can honor the, this, this vocabulary of these classic songs, but I'm not going to, it's unmistakably me, and there's, I'm not, not going to avoid myself in the process. And that was when I launched this, this version of my solo project four, four years ago, let's say, uh, uh, at Joe's Pub, we did, a, we did like a, a blowout nine-piece band, one-night-only show at Joe's Pub, and it was quite literally the launch of the project, and it set me off in this trajectory that I'm that I'm at now. Um, it, it was eye-opening. I was like, oh, I'm me. Through all these different phases and the Huntington years and the Sting years, <laughs> like you get to a place, you're like you're in your 30s, and you're like, I am who I like. This is, this who is, I am. is me. Yeah. yeah, that was cool. That was really cool. So, did you have that kind of epiphany, or? Well, <laughs> but you've always been yourself. Well, that's nice of you to say. I, I think as a side man, I have to function as a chameleon a little bit more. You're like a, a singer, a frontman. You're a mm. purebred front person, just like mm -hmm. Jeff or Constantine or whoever. Right. You're, you you can run the whole show. You are the whole show. Well, I'm humbled by their company in this. <laughs> that's like <laughs> you know a, what I mean? like that's you like are, a pantheon of. You are um, you are this. I, for me personally, I've always I've been yeah. the chameleon because I, I stand in the background, occasionally stepping up to. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's not my f full time thing. That that was out of necessity to mm -hmm. live the Huntington years in my own life. I was like, <laughs> okay, well, if I sing, I can make more money. Well, I'll just learn to sing. You know, that was for me. You know what I mean? So I'm still developing that. Right. Yeah, I think we all. I mean, we all are. Right. We're all in the state of becoming. So when do you, but, but there's a, there is a moment when you're like, I'm comfortable, at least I'm comfortable in, in my own skin. 
And uh, it took a lot of, I mean, those, that feeling always takes missteps. Yes. It takes wrong turns. Mm-hmm. And, then it, and then when you start embracing those wrong turns and those missteps, that's, that's the key. Then you're like, oh, that mistake is like why this part of me I love so much. That, that real fuck up, <laughs> that real romantic disaster or f- horrible financial decision or whatever it is, like, you know, no car accident, it, right? you know, I don't know. It's just silly things like that. That is part of me. And once you start loving those weird things, you're like, now I can, now I can write some songs. Man. Yeah. <laughs> now yes. I can lay down. So that was cool. I um, like that. And you used a word, I always like to think of that we're all, the phrase I like and have latched on to recently is that we're mid-process. Mm-hmm. We're all mid-process. I haven't figured this out yet. Mm-hmm. You're someone who people, Jeff Tui looks at you and says, this guy, he's figured it out. He's figured <laughs> himself out. He's right. figured out his whole aesthetic, his whole sound. And even you're sitting here and telling me, like, I'm still figuring it out, but I'm getting closer. You know? <laughs> we yeah. all are. You know? No, I, I think I, I look at Jeff too. I mean, it's that's the thing. It's like you have this vision of other people, which is a bit of kind of this mountaintop vision, where you can see people like the way we're looking at our view right now, Beautiful right? Beautiful. It's untainted. It's untainted. So if you yes. look, if you're looking at someone else from the, from an outside perspective, you're gonna see a, a fully painted, probably a fully painted picture. Either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I see that. I see that to Jeff too. When I look at Jeff, I'm like, oh wow, Jeff is a, he's the f- actualized version of himself. Maybe he doesn't feel that way about himself. I certainly don't feel that way about myself. And um, maybe, maybe, when people look at you and they see that thing in, in you, what they're really recognizing is the journeyman or journey person, let's say, part of yourself. That um, you, you're owning your flaws and uh, you're on this path. That you, you embrace the path. And if they're looking at you and they're like, oh, that guy's got to figure it out, maybe they're actually saying, man, he's on the path. Mm. Maybe that's what they need. It's a beautiful sentiment, Paul, yes. <laughs> I don't no, know. I, know. I, think that's, I think you're right because I think it takes a lot to go down the path of a to decide. musician or an artist or something like that, right? Like you're like, I'm right. going to try to do this. I don't know what this is. To do the impossible. Yeah. Or like, to, how, to attempt the, the impossible, right? Yeah. Which is... Also, living in really the, the, one of the toughest cities to live in in the world from a financial point of view, and, um, and still, <laughs> the hedonism thing, make yourself happy yes. by paying the rent, is, is the victory. <laughs> that, is the, that is the victory, yeah. Where do we go from here? Like, what do we do? Like, yes. The international proving ground, right? Yeah. Everybody comes here to do this, so... But, but what else is there? That's what I'm saying. So it's like, it's kind of the now that we found love thing. It's like, well, how are we going to do? So like you, we can pay our rent, thankfully, in New York and play music, which is the thing we love most in the world. Yes. Except Negronis. Uh, <laughs> we can do that here. Like, so let's keep doing it and let's dig in and let's, and, and let's preach and spread it and, and like, shine the light as far and wide as we can we've already won you know yeah. that's that like that hustle thing you're talking about it's like mm. there's no other option for me if I'm gonna live in New York City I'm gonna do what I love here I'm not gonna check in at some cubicle uh, you know for 10 hours a day no way I'm gonna do everything I love here if I'm gonna be here 
you're gonna sing for twelve nights in a row. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. <You're> exactly. Like, <laughs> Which is its own kind of cubicle, but 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 the most enjoyable kind. Yeah, no, the music is yeah. always the fun part. It's uh, yeah. Someone told me right, you're not getting paid to play music. You're getting paid to drive and move gear. That's true. That's the part where you're like, oh, son of a bitch. Well, that like, keeps us a bit. The moving gear bit keeps us a bit young, for sure. I think that's a healthy. No, I enjoy the yeah. loadout. Yeah. I do the whole PA by myself. Yeah. People are like, do you want help? I'm like, nah. This Me is too, my workout yeah. right now. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I enjoy that physical part. You do the quick change fr- afterwards. You like? I do. That's a do? newer thing to my thing. Is yeah. I take off the. I change my the shoes. Because the sweaty. Because the sweaty. Like, you change your shoes. Oh, that's a big. Yeah. That's a, that was yeah. a game changer. I wear cowboy boots, and I'll be like, "Why are my feet?" Do you do the pre-gig? Do you do the <laughs> shirt change before? Yeah, shirt change and pant. And now, now I'm at the point where the pants I, come. That's it. You know, See? after four hours, you just get drenched, crushed. And I don't want to just wrap cables up in being drenched. <laughs> <laughs> so, at, like it's the, the nitty gritty of being a musician now, yeah. The last, the last coda of the last song. I'm already fucking in the bathroom at that point. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm off stage. Like I'm changing back into like into this right here. Yeah. Like into my loafers. Like let's just. So yeah, but that that was a that was a recent <laughs> revelation. Like I just can't do the loadout like a sweaty pig anymore. No, I don't. I can't do it either. <laughs> I put a hat on. I put a t-shirt on. And I put my cons on. I, I go back to my dirty rocker roots. Right. I'm like, okay. Cool. Yeah, the punk. Now, yeah, I want to look Paul. punk Paul. I want to look like the roadie that I am about to become after being yeah. like, everybody, shout. Throw your hands. They're like, who's <laughs> the, the, the clients don't even recognize you? Yeah, they're, they're like not. asking the bass player for cards. Yeah. They're like, they don't, like, who's that guy? He's just the backup guy. <laughs> yeah. He's the sound man. He's the tech guy. Yeah, that's right, me, yeah. bro. They're like, no offense to bass players, because by the way, they fucking hold it down. <laughs> they hold it down. I'm throwing f bombs out. One one drink in here. I hope that's okay for your listeners. Oh, it's real. Yeah, okay. of course. Yeah, I'm usually a bit more menchy. I'm usually, uh, but but you know, it's in the gro- It's it's one thirty p.m. in the afternoon. You're We're Italian. This. Hour. I mean, can you, oh, Paul? Here's mm. here's my own question for <laughs> such a linguistic, <laughs> cunning linguist, if you will. Oh, okay. Um, there it is. Isn't I have heard that the Italian language is the richest in swear words. Yeah, I learned them. I learned those first. <laughs> yeah, you're like uh, when I was twelve. That's why I went down the. Yeah, you learned right. all of those first. Well, my dad. That's the thing. My dad would. That's the Italian that my dad taught me. If he taught me anything. Ma che cazzo fai? Now. Is that you're a fucking idiot? Well, that means what the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, what, what the hell are you doing right now? Yeah. But 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 ma che cazzo fai? Uh, if I if I may say this, if there's no yeah, no, uh, no, okay. no there's no. But if you're saying it politely, ma che, cu- ma che cosa fai? But what thing are you doing? But you replace cosa with cazzo. And if you if there's an Italian speaker out there, you know that cazzo is a is a is a is a word that means phallus. Oh, but what phallus are you doing? What what in the hell are you doing right now? So that's that's what I got from early age, and also he had a wonderful saying. I think he maybe learned from his mother or grandfather or something. He said he would try to wake me up in the morning once in a while. Usually my mother was the one who was like rearing us. Yeah, she would have to drag was... me out of bed. But like on a Sunday, uh, he would walk into my bedroom. I remember, and he would say, you know, nella sera leone leone, nella mattina coglione coglione. That means. <laughs> <in> the... <laughs> 
In the evening, lions, lions. In the morning, balls, balls. (laughs) 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 So beautiful. Like it's so beautiful. Like yeah. It sounds so beautiful, but it's so real. Yeah. So beautiful. He'd be like knocking on my door, like I'm half awake. Then I say to Leon, Leon, and then Martina, Corleone, Corleone. I'm like, all right, you know. So like at night, you're so, you know, you you have this vibrance, you have this, you know, this hedonism about you. And the morning, you just can't get the hell out of bed. What balls do you have? Not even wake up. so good it's so good it's so true it's so true it's It's, so good it's such a rich language for that it's a rich language yeah that yeah i don't know if it's the richest but it's certainly yeah us italians have that bit of ourselves and we don't mind dirtiness that's the thing going back to roman times and before it's like there's a phallus like on every doorway like you know the the insipid and the dirty and the non-virtuous is is just as important like the lowbrow is just as important as the highbrow in yes. Italy mm-hmm. and they're they work they do work in tandem like they they have this like you can have a, uh, an opera <laughs> you could you can go from opera to porn like and, and it's the same theme these are the same themes explored same. usually about mothers and <laughs> women and <laughs> the mafia but and who's ripping who off but <laughs> but like that exists in Italy, and I don't know. I, I'm I love that. I love that. Like, yeah. So it's when beautiful. I when yeah. I went a couple weeks ago, my friend Hallie and I, we had you know we had some adventures there. We had um, she ended up extending her trip for two weeks, and she's like, I, I'm gonna come to Sicily with you. I'm like, absolutely. Like, dear friend. Like, we went to Cuba together, along yeah. with our other friend Janine. Of course, and we love her. Yeah, love her. And Janine and I went to Greece together. So Hallie was like, I'm just gonna have the full experience. Luckily, she ex- able to extend her trip by two weeks. By the way, and she went to She's Sicily a smart with me. Woman. Yes. Yeah, and we had the we had the full. We went all in. Like we had the adventure, and we went to the island where my dad was born on, and spent four days there. And like we're in this Mediterranean paradise, and we we're just like. By the way, real Italian people uh, um, are beautiful in that they're lazy. They're hustlers. Uh, some of them are not, but for the most part, like there is a uh, con artist streak in 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 <laughs> a lot of Italians, yes. specifically men, by the way, because it's the women that hold up the country. I'm really talking about the men. It's like the women that do the; they are the backbone of everything. And misogyny has a different connotation there, but like the men are these hucksters. Like they. <laughs> They would be happy to do everything we're doing right now. This mm. is what Italian men do. This is what they do. Bullshit. And they, yeah. look, they look for someone that passed them by in the street and give them a handout. Yep. That's what they're looking for. They are content to sit here while these poor women, uh, you know, slave away and, and carry the brunt of family, uh, church, and tradition on their shoulders. Our mothers, yes. Yes, our mothers. Exactly. And yeah. all, the, all the daily work that is the tough work. Yes. And while the men uh, are, are love-festing with each other and just waiting for uh, <laughs> waiting for something to fall off a truck. Yeah. I mean, that is... Yeah. interesting. And that, it's kind of what I love about Italy. Um, for me, uh, from my mother, I got, like, I am a homemaker. Like, I, in my life, like, I... I got from her like the Italian sense of keep your keep it all clean make the food for people be a, be a host curate an evening for people yes and then my dad's my, from my dad I think I got like 
the jovial side, mm-hmm. the raconteur side, uh, definitely curating an evening for people, but in a different way. In a different yeah, life, yes. Way. So, anyway, I, sp- I speak at length here about nonsensical things, no, but... No, uh, my mo- I remember being young, and my mother would teach me how to speak in a group. She's mm-hmm. like, if you see someone not partaking in a conversation, direct the conversation to, to them. them. Yeah, yeah. Don't just talk about guitar effects pedals the, the inclusive, whole time. The inclusivity the inclusive, thing. The yeah. Keep the conversation open, right? This is this right. is just part of the culture, like right. And, and so, yeah. When I hang out with people who don't do that, I'm like, wait, what's wrong with you? Like, the, clear, like this is mm-hmm. we're here together. We're enjoying each other. Like, right. Well, we, you know, as musicians, we a lot of us are on the spectrum socially, and, yes, and that's, that's kind true. of my. Uh, I recognize I'm introverted. Like like you, I will, I will after a gig, prefer to be in silence. It's fun for me to be in the group and do the after party hang and like do that. But like after a gig, you want to go back to your book, go back to your, you know, your, for me, audiobook on the way home or whatever it is. Of course, yeah. And how, how do you break that, the social constraints? How do you make the exclusive inclusive? Ooh. Right? Like that's what you're talking about. Yes. That's your mother's thing. Yes. How do you make it palatable? How do, me, how do you make your experience palatable for other people and then make them feel like they're a part of it? Uh, and that's kind of our plight, actually. That's what yeah. we do as songwriters. That's what we do on stage. Yes. There's, there's, it needs to be inclusive. But what you're offering people, what, uh, what's on the back, what you're soapboxing to them and what's on the back of your little Wells Fargo wagon <laughs> is the idea of a life that they don't have. This. Mm-hmm. They're not able to take any day at 1.30 p.m. and talk the way we're talking. They don't uh, have a glimpse. Tuesday at, yeah. Yeah, but, if, you, but if, we, if we can share that with them, and if, they, if it leads them down the path that they're meant to go on or that they choose to go on, like that's the purpose of art. Without any pretense, just like communicate your truth, let people digest it or not, and then if it sends them in a certain direction, that's the point. That's like, great. That's yeah. the thing, you know? Great. But you do it for yourself, right? Yes. Like you're It is a fundamentally selfish thing, right? You're you making to... sounds for yourself. <laughs> you're trying to think you're cool. You're like, yeah. Or well Is it masturbatory in some way? Is it <laughs> Well, I always thought that if and this goes back to your agricultural revolution, right? Um <laughs> If sex was free, would we become musicians? You know, there's just uh, free, if that was just a part of life, like pre-agriculture, like what if we were just, no, in, yeah, in the maybe 60s, there would be no rock and roll. You in know the late I mean? 60s, I would have been a banker, I think. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. We're going to Madison Avenue, you know? Yeah, Why? sure. In Roman times, I would have been an orator. No, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the rock star of in different eras. T- in the times know? when sex was free, no, I, uh, well, is that, yeah, I, is that the thing? Is it? Are we just peacocks in 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 that way? I don't know. I, I I think I'm trying to just please myself. I'm trying to and know myself. Do you do you feel any like I'm on the journey of self awareness through <laughs> through music? Like music is just a tool. And I'm just trying to like get to the to the um, you know brunt of who I am to that inner core. Of course. Uh, yeah. Not on any conscious level, but like I when you. When you unpack it, you're like, that's what you're really after. Mm-hmm. 
Like, who the hell am I? Why, why am I doing who? Why am I doing this? How do I get Every here? Day? Yeah. Right? yeah. Maybe it's that self-questioning thing that leads it there. Yeah. But, well, we went off on a, on a tandem. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your fish ears. <laughs> oh, yeah. Interesting to nobody, but gosh, this is a, this is a good drink. Paul, you mix, really you mix an exceptional <laughs> drink. I'm like, I'm flush and hilarious, and this is great. And I'm talking too much, but that's the... No, it's perfect. That's the lovely thing. Um, yeah, and I, I, um, I'm curious and excited for w- what's next, right? Uh, you realize now we're, like, mid-30s. You look back on the last 15 or so years since, yeah, of your life and since moving to New York and since like digging in and for you since becoming a club date musician or espousing a certain version of yourself and making that public. Yes. After all that, you can survey maybe. And like for me, when I survey, (laughs) well, literally I'm like, I'm super excited and thrilled for what lay beyond, uh, Musically, travel, um, the next part of my life. Uh, do I want to have a family? Uh, how do I do that? Uh, <laughs> where am I going to be in 30 years? Let's start working towards that. Mm. Um, let's, let's keep that in the back of your mind. Because you don't think about 65 when you're 25. Not at all. But at no. 35, you start thinking about You start that. to think about that a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Creeps in there a little bit. Yeah. I push it out like, nah. Yeah. And you spend more time with older people maybe too. Uh, yes. Everyone that we know is getting older, right? The boomers are now in their mid-60s. So yes. you're kind of like, right. So that's like, that's super interesting to me. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled. I'm optimistic about it. I, I, hope that, um, I hope that this administration leaves us <laughs> with uh, a fair shake, with a plot of land that we can stand on and that's equal uh, for everyone. Uh, one doesn't know, but... I hope so. I hope. Mm. Right? Yeah. Your optimism is becoming. It's good. It's good. <laughs> I like that. No, it is. Uh, you know, a piece of me, not that we have to go down this road, but for one second, it's like, look look at all this. Look at all this. You could have all of this. Mm-hmm. You could be a Trump. It's Maybe none of that will change until there's blood in the streets. You know what I mean? This right. Massive income equality, but. Yeah, and you can have it. Maybe this is the road to that, you know? Maybe this is... Yeah, I'd like to think that we're on, on the king's road. That we're all... And that we're all on... And there's room for everyone. That's the thing. That's a big question, right? right? Yeah. We can all share it. I mean, I think about that Bourdain thing that happened last week, right? You can, you can travel the world. You can mingle with your tribe all the time. People that... Uh, excite you and give you adventure and make you dig in deeper to the best version of yourself you can uh, attain wealth and notoriety and walk into any restaurant and and eat dumplings for free (laughs) you can have all the trappings of what it means to be materially wealthy respected loved by many and yet still be unhappy and uh, as my friend Evan said I think it's like Aside from all the mental health issues and, and things, aside from the chemical stuff that he probably was suffering from, 
which maybe led him to drugs or was a result of his, you know, years as an addict. I'm talking about it, Tony Bourdain. My friend Evan said, like, what is the purpose? What's the, what's, what's the thing in your life that truly drives you and that's going to sustain you? Um, and for me, without a question, it's music. It's, it's the sound. It's the, it's the sheer way notes fall together and rhythm marries melody Mm. and all that like that is the thing if I look at my life and I look at the next 30 years I'm like that's the thing that truly sustains me everything else beautiful but romance optimism the things that I sing about it's all it's music man it's that feeling when the downbeat happens and people are there and they pay money for it to see you and you're there to 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 transcend and not to not to transcend the stage but to like to transcend the cliched version of yourself and what people think they're there for you know to make an evening for someone and like that's the thing that really is the is the shit for me that really sustains me that feeling yeah yeah so also a little bit of Campari at one thirty in the afternoon. <laughs> Paul, that was beautiful. That was it. We don't need anything else after that. That was know, perfect. I don't know if that's it, but thank you. Uh, thank you. That I'm was glad uh, you came your... over. That's it. You thank wanna, you. You want to go listen to a record and yes, finish the rest of these uh, antipasti? Yes. All right, great. Thank you, Paul. All right, Paul. Thank you so much for the time. What a guy, Paul Loren. Paul. Lo- L-O-R-E-N. I re-listened to my intro just now, and I was like, man, it was a little slow, but the energy was good, and I was saying Paul's name weird. Paul Lauren. Paul Loren. I don't know. I, <clears throat> they all work. L-O-R-E-N. Lauren. Paul Lauren. I have no idea, guys. We'll have to ask Paul. Paul Loren. Music. Check him out. Go buy his music. God damn it, he writes good music, right? And he's top-notch. What a dude. I have a bottle of Campari in the house, as I said. I'm going to enjoy it my damn self because I have a beautiful evening off of packing and playing guitar. Maybe I'll listen to the new Dawes record. Maybe I'll listen to some Paul Lauren. Maybe I'll finish like one of the seven books I have open right now. Anyway, I hope everybody has an awesome time. Thank you again to Paul. Please go check out his music. I believe it's all Paul Lauren music. Check it out. L-O-R-E-N. I'm getting Secret Famous stickers made. Excuse me. What? Yeah, that's hot. Oh, dang. Those are going to be fresh. If you want one, that means you made it this far. You can email me your address and I'll just send you like a hundred. You could just put them all over your body and just kind of wear them. as a dress. As I always want to do with like bubble wrap or saran wrap. I always offer that at every photo shoot or video shoot. I'm like, guys, what about this? Can I put this tinfoil on? And they never take it. (sighs) Hey, y'all the best. And I can only end this podcast in the way we end every podcast. Well, 